so that we can respond to you, Lord, in faith. Help us, Lord God, to hear your word and change us, Lord God, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start with sharing to you my experience when I was working in the aviation company. I used to proctor an examination for those who are studying to get their necessary approvals and licenses to become a uh, airplane pilot. And because of the critical nature of this job and the number of lives as, uh, that is at stake in, in each flight, the country's civil aviation authority has established and enforced a no cheating uh, policy during course examination. Anyone who is caught cheating immediately would uh, be expelled from the academy and will not be permitted to uh, repeat the course. And during one of the examinations that I proctored, one student did not take this policy seriously. He was caught cheating. And even though we, he had only two months remaining from his uh, two-year flight training course, he was immediately expelled and banned from retaking the course. He thought that our academy could help him. He became friends with me, uh, with the, uh, the staff members, the flight instructors, even the upper management of our company. He thought that we could help him. However, none of us were able to help him in his situation because he violated a rule that was made public and executed by the country's highest authority pertaining to civil aviation. And so this person went home to his country without a career in flight training. Now in Habakkuk sermon series, we are learning that if there is a supreme authority, if there is someone who has the highest authority, he is none other than the God of the Bible. And we previously discussed that God is sovereign and he rules. And he rules uh, in goodness. He is good in all that he does. The Bible is sovereign even in the evil activities of each person who willingly choose to do their willful uh, sinful actions. And yet the Bible never blames God for evil nor suggests that God enjoys evil. Instead, wicked people have moral responsibility and accountability for their willing wicked actions. They are responsible to their actions. Last Sunday, though we, though we uh, finishes on that thought, Habakkuk was left on our last sermon standing at his guard post and waiting for God's response on his complaint. And the question that he presented was, if the Chaldeans, who, who he considered to be evil people, are God's instrument for disciplining Judah, then what about the evil of the Chaldeans? Who is going to punish them for their wickedness? Who is to go, going to bring, the, bring justice to the wicked actions that they do uh, to the people? Now, the, the Chaldeans, like the, pra- the flight training student, wrongly assume that God has nothing to do with them. 
they thought that they are outside God's jurisdiction. And many people nowadays are like the Chaldeans who believe that God doesn't care about whatever they do in life. Habakkuk 2 will demonstrate to us today, however, that the Lord reigns with sovereign goodness and justice. He will not allow any evil unpunished. He demands that everyone answers for their action, and the only way to escape his wrath is for the righteous to live by faith. This will be the main idea of our sermon today, because the Lord reigns in justice, the righteous should live by faith. I'll repeat that. Because the Lord reigns in justice, the, the righteous should live by faith. And I have three points to cover this idea. Number one, God's justice revealed. God's justice revealed. I will emphasize here that the reign and rule of God is known through His revelation, which is no other than the Word of God, the Bible. Second, God's justice in action. God's justice in action. And here on this uh, section, I will emphasize that God exhibits His justice in action and He will make Babylon as an example for all. The Babylon will be an example for all that God rules in justice. And the last one is God, God's justice demands. God's justice demands. And because God rules in justice, He demands faith for salvation. Because God is ruling with justice, He demands faith for salvation. Again, the main idea of our sermon is because the Lord reigns in justice, the, the righteous should live by faith. And because of the many references in the Bible, I will refer to the Chaldeans as Babylon. Uh, in the Bible, Babylon and Chaldeans are names that are frequently interchanged, especially in the book of Daniel. Uh, though the Chaldeans were uh, among those nations who have uh, allied with Babylon in, in uh, making war with Judah, nevertheless, it was Babylon that brought Judah into captivity. And so I will refer to Babylon instead of the Chaldeans this time. So let's begin in studying our passage with our first point, which is God's justice revealed. And we will be studying that from verses 2 to verse 5 of chapter 2. Habakkuk 2, verse 2 to verse 5. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribed it on tablets, so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like shoal, and like that, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects people for himself. In this passage, Habakkuk was given a vision from God. In God said to Habakkuk, write down this vision clearly on tablets. 
write down clearly. So what is the purpose of this? Uh, the purpose is said also in verse 2, so that one may easily read it. Now, the literal translation of this, one may easily read it, is so that one who reads it may run. One who reads it may run. When you read the original Hebrew uh, translation, this is one who reads it may run. This reading and running is a job of a herald. A herald is, uh, uh, in the biblical times, is someone who runs and then shouting and announcing a news towards his people, whether that is a good news or a bad news. And in Habakkuk's case, he is the herald of the vision for Judah. Now look at verse 3. In verse 3, it says that the vision is yet for the appointed time. And so what does this mean? This means that God has set a specific time, a specific place, on how these things are going to take place. It also says, it testifies about the end and it will not lie. It testifies about the end. So what does this mean? In one word, this is called, in the Bible, prophecy. What is prophecy? Uh, you know, when you read Habakkuk, from the chapter 1, you can, say, you can immediately see that Habakkuk is a prophet who received the revelation from God. And so this book is a prophecy. Now, many uh, giants whom I am standing on, uh, like Arsis Sproul and uh, John Calvin, describe this uh, prophecy like uh, a series of mountains in front of you. When you are in, uh, when a series of mountains in front of you, it just looks like a giant or a massive mountain. You're not seeing the mountains behind it. And so what you're seeing, what you thought is just a giant massive mountain. Now, uh, when viewed from the top, you realize that these are series of mountains. Alright, so that's prophecy. Um, what does this mean, this metaphor means? Sim- simply to say that prophecy may appear to, to us that uh, something that is going to happen or something that happened in the past, but uh, we, don't, we didn't realize that it's being fulfilled in a span of time that God has set in place and a series of events, all right? So when God uh, uh, writes a prophecy in his book, it is fulfilled in a series of events. Now, today's generation, especially the digital generation, kids, uh, children, right? So, you are the digital generation. I believe most of us today use mobile phone and tablets, all right? Um, today's generation, uh, sadly, has a little regard uh, for God's revelation, especially the Old Testament. We especially focus on the New Testament. Uh, many people see the Old Testament as an outdated literature. Uh, the tablet that Habakkuk held in the past is now a tablet with monitor and screen in it. And um, the scripture in the past can now be downloaded in the tablet that we have. Instead of a tablet of stone, it's now iPad and Android tablets, right? And so, um, 
That's why we view Old Testament something like an outdated literature. However, God's word remains faithful and true, whether that's written in a stone of tablet or in your tablet that you are using today. God's word is faithful and true. It is constant, everlasting. So what Habakkuk had in the past is still present today. It's a prophecy that is being fulfilled in a series of events. In the past, Habakkuk was the herald. Today, the herald of the gospel of God's salvation is the church. In the past, Habakkuk is running quickly towards his people. The church today quickly spread all over the world to share God's gospel. The Bible will not lie about the end. Wait for it. Even if it takes a while, it will come. It will not be late. All that is written in the Bible will happen because it is God's word. That is why the book of Habakkuk is such a lovely book for God's people. Because it demonstrates how Genesis to Revelation collaborate to present one gospel message. There's one message from beginning until the end. One example of this is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the Greek word for uh, Revelation is apocalypse, which translated in English means reveal. In the past, the vision was given to Habakkuk. During the New Testament time, the apostle John also received a vision from the Lord. In the very last passage of Revelation, which is Revelation chapter 22, the Lord Jesus Christ said, These words are faithful and true, which was also written in the book of Habakkuk. The Lord has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And then in verse 11 of chapter 22 of Revelation, it was written, Let the righteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Now, isn't this the same message that God has given Habakkuk? His ego is inflated. He does does not stop. He is pertaining to Babylon. He enlarges his appetite like Joe. And like that, he is never satisfied. He gathers all nations to himself. The wicked becomes more wicked. And the righteous should live by faith. It's the same message. Verse 4 is giving us a picture of wickedness that will continue on becoming wickedness. And also verse 5. Now when we look in the history of time, on the life of God's people, particularly Israel, we can learn that during the AD 40, year AD 40, one emperor whose name is Caligula, emperor of Rome, he ordered the construction of a statue of himself and then placed it inside the Jerusalem temple. How wicked could this be for the people of Israel during that time? 
And then in year AD 69, the Zealots, they are militant Jewish faction, took over the temple and perpetrated even more wickedness. Instead of restoring the sanctity of the temple, they use it as their base for military operations. And then in AD 70, the Roman Empire slaughtered one million Jews during the siege of Jerusalem. The wicked becomes more wicked. Today, we don't have massacre like this. But Romans 1 says another kind of wickedness. The people exchange their natural relationships for unnatural ones. And nowadays, Australia and Canada are two of the numerous countries that accept same-sex marriage. They are showing their support to the LGBT community, and they even made June 28 as Gays Pride Day. Poland, Turkey, Thailand, and Argentina, among other nations, support abortion or the killing of an infant which is about to be given birth. Terrorism has afflicted several countries, including Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia. The wicked becomes more wicked. And while evil doesn't stop, the Bible calls for Christians that the righteous should live by faith. God revealed this to Habakkuk. And God is revealing that to us today. Christians, we should live by faith. According to Romans 1.17, Paul writes this, to the people in Rome, which Ate Angela re- uh, read to us today, the righteous ones should live by faith. They should trust and place their hope and confidence in Jesus Christ, for He is God's power unto our salvation. And then Paul writes again in Galatians 3, somewhere in another part of uh, another country, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, he wrote again, the righteous should live by faith. He is emphasizing that you cannot be saved by the works of the law. Instead, you can be saved only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews 10.38, another author of the New Testament passage, they exhort the faithful ones to persevere in spite or despite of suffering that they are experiencing. Why? Because Christ is soon coming. He will fulfill. He is faithful in His salvation plan. The righteous should live by faith. And so what does the Bible reveal to us? God's justice is being revealed. And while God's justice is being revealed, the Bible reveals that the righteous ones, Christians, God's people should live by faith. No matter what. Today, how do God's people live by faith? Habakkuk teaches us to rely only on what God has revealed through His Word. And so even if your country's president, or even if the rulers of your country are corrupt, 
even if your company supervisor refuses to provide you your rights as an employee, live according to God's revealed will, which is His Word. You are not supposed to slander whom God has placed over you as an authority. You are to pray for those people whom God has put in position above you. On a personal level, this means that you should pray for your parents, even though you, don't, you have a misunderstanding with your parents. You should pray for your pastor, even if the advice or the counsel that your pastor gave you isn't to your liking. He's just being faithful to the Word of God. It suggests that if we were harmed by the wrongdoing of another, we are to forgive if that person comes to us and asks for forgiveness. Forgive the seventh time. But Jesus Christ said even, forgive the 490th times. If that person comes to you and asks for forgiveness. Now, the next question that might be lingering on Habakkuk's head is this. Why should I live by faith when all the circumstances surrounding me says that I should, stra- I should start trusting in myself? That must be what's going on in the mind of uh, Judah during the time that they learned that uh, an innovation is going to happen. And here we go to our second point, which is God's justice is in action. While God's justice was revealed through His Word, God's justice will be also in action. And Babylon will be an example or an exhibit of God's justice. Read with me verses 6 to 17 of Habakkuk chapter 2. Won't all this take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They say, they will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his, how much longer, and loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise? And those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoiled for them, since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall, and the raptors will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the peoples labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For violence against Babylon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you. 
because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands and cities and all who live in them. That's verses 6 to 17 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And what this basically says is about Babylon. What will happen to Babylon? God revealed in vision that woe to Babylon. Woe to Babylon. Woe is a word that is used to a like a terrible sadness, a pity, not even pity, but a terrible thing will happen to that place and woe to that, to that person or to that place. Now, a few moments ago, I used a metaphor of a series of mountains to explain to us what prophecy is. And what will happen to Babylon is actually a series of events when we carefully study the scripture. And we can also learn here that when viewed from the top, Babylon is like a massive mountain of all mankind from different ages opposing God. It's not only the Babylon itself, but Babylon represents all humanity that is in rebellion against God. And Habakkuk describes God's wrath against Babylon fulfilled in a series, series of events. Now let's just try to look at the verses again. Verses 6 to 8, we can see that the fall of Babylon will invite nations mockery and riddles. It will create um, an idea about them, about them that, oh, this is happening to uh, this nation, it's good for him because he has been like this. He has been so evil like this. It's good for him. It's like a mockery. They will create many riddles about the events that's going to happen with Babylon. In short, this event will be remembered by everybody. It will become an example. It will serve as an exhibit of God's justice in display being in action. Babylon may be successful for the time being during Habakkuk's days. They might be continuously amassing wealth as a spoil from wars. But her killing, her murder, murders of people, her aggression against other nations will come back to hunt her. Verses 9 to 11. When you read verse 9 to 11, uh, um, it says that, Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house. It's displaying the heart that is uh, what's going on in the heart of Babylon. It's continuous dishonesty, continuous greed, continuous injustice and iniquities that Babylon continue to do. And according to this passage, this will, be, this will become the shame of Babylon. Look at verse 12 to verse 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? This passage is actually telling what's going to happen with Babylon. Babylon will be on fire. Babylon will experience the same thing that he is doing against other nations and by Babylon 
the Lord's glory will be displayed, that He is the Lord of justice, and Babylon as an exhibit of the Lord's justice. Now, verse 15 to 17 also says that Babylon continuously uh, disgraced other nations by making them drunk and looking at their nakedness. It's basically like shaming those weak, uh, weak nations in front of him. But then God said that you are too proud. I will humble you. What you are doing to this nation will also happen to you. You will be shamed by others, by mockery and riddles. And then in verse 19, Woe to him who says to wood, Wake up, or mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? It's basically describing what happens when you are in trouble. Wake up! Babylon saying to the idol, Speak! I need you right now. Save me from what's happening to me. But they cannot speak. An idol cannot save him. No one, nobody, not even their false god can save them from their destruction. This is what was prophesied against Babylon. Now, the actual thing or the actual fall of Babylon happened and was described by, Dan- uh, by Daniel in chapter 5. The book of Daniel, chapter 5. Uh, the actual fall of Babylon was on the days of Daniel. It reports that King Belshazzar of Babylon had a large feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Drank wine in their presence. Now let's look back on Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 5. What does it say? Moreover, wine betrays. Moreover, wine betrays. How did wine betray, betray Babylon? Well, what happened was that King Belshazzar became drunk and together with all his nobles, and he took the vessels that is used in worshiping God's temple and used it for drinking wine together with his concubines. Such wickedness did, did King Belshazzar uh, do in the presence of all people and, of course, in the presence of God. That night, King Belshazzar had a vision which Daniel interpreted before him. Daniel said that this night you will die. Babylon will be taken over by the Medes and the Persian. It will be divided as a spoil. That night, King Belshazzar was assassinated and Babylon was taken over by King Darius of Mid. And then on the year 539 BC, Cyrus the Great, which is also prophesied in the Bible, is a specific name Cyrus, he attacked Babylon. Babylon suffered defeat in a major battle in Tigris at Opis. Then Cyrus ordered an invasion of Babylon and Babylon fell on the hand of King Cyrus. King Nabonidus, which is the current king of Babylon during that time, led the defense, but it was very late. Babylon was burned. Woe to Babylon. Now in Revelation, 
when you look at the Revelation chapter 18, the Bible also describes a great Babylon. A great Babylon would fall at the end of days. Many kingdoms of the world who were with her in her immorality grieved and mourned from afar when they saw the smoke of her burning. According to Revelation 18.10, they will stand from afar in horror of her torment, crying, Woe! Woe! The great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. My dear friends, the fall of Babylon is an exhibit of God's justice. It is a picture of all those rebellious people who will be judged in the last days. Many of us believe what happened to Babylon will not happen to us. However, Babylon also felt that way. Babylon didn't uh, think that what happened to Judah will happen to him or to happen to her. It was, uh, uh, the gender was her in the Bible when she is, when it is being, uh, Babylon is being described. Babylon actually acted like my student who thought that there is no highest authority above him There is no rules that encompasses him or encompasses Babylon. He had no idea that the regulation that was imposed by the highest authority, which is who is no other than God himself, is extremely effective, eliminating even the tiniest evil and sin and making sure that justice is in action. The Civil Aviation Authority did that to my student. God, being the highest authority, will do that in His justice in the end of days. Now who dare to say that God's justice doesn't cover me? That God doesn't concern me? How do we treat now our own arrogance? Are we going to continuously stand in our own self-righteousness? Will we continue to insist that we've done nothing wrong? Are we continuously going to harden our hearts? Are we continuously going to insist that we are more righteous than those persons who wronged us? And we want them to suffer the evil that we have experienced? If Babylon is evil, Babylon deserves to be punished. But we are also evil without the grace of God. We deserve punishment. What about those sins that you treat as small, tiny sins? Do we assume that the highest authority would overlook it? What do you intend to do when you come before His presence? And take an account of all the things that you did here with your life. Are you going to acknowledge your sin now and confess it now? Have you confessed that tiny sin for God's forgiveness? Or even 
Have you sought help with your brothers or sisters in the Lord so that they can help you to overcome that weakness on falling into that sin again and again and think of practical solutions so that you might not fall again on that temptation? What about the sin of unthankfulness? Are you always complaining about the things around you and failing to see how many wonderful things that God has set in place to help you so that you can live godly? What about worry and anxiety? Are you easily frightened by events of the future that threatens your life or even your future? Have you forgotten that God is in control? That all things are in God's hands? What about that impatience or irritation, gossiping or lack of self-control? My dear friends, what we need to remember are that, is that Christians only stand at the rock of his or her salvation. You are only standing by, at the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We cannot boast. We cannot be arrogant before him. God is the one who is right. And we are the one who needs correction. We owe him too much debt. Nonetheless, he forgave us. And so how is it that we cannot forgive the debts of others? There are plenty of sins that we overlook and rationalize that they are only little sins that do not concern God. God's justice, on the other hand, is revealed and known through his words. His word reveals that your sin will be punished if you will not repent and you will harden your hearts just like Pharaoh just like Babylon because God keeps his words nevertheless the book of Habakkuk says that in wrath God remembers mercy through the grace that is found in Christ Jesus Because of this grace, the righteous can live by faith. This is what God has given us as a way for our salvation. And this is how we go to our third point. We already learned that God's justice was revealed in His Word. And God's justice is in action by the exhibit of Babylon. Now, verse 18 to verse 20 will teach us that God's justice demands faith in Him so that we can be saved. So read with me verse 18 to 20. What use is a curved idol after its craftsman curves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies, for the one who crafts it shapes trust in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up! Or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. These last three verses of our text is talking about the sin of idolatry. And in contrast to idols, God is powerful to save because He rules. He is the sovereign God and 
He is good in whatever He does. So what this simply says is that idols cannot save. Only God can save. And faith is needed so that we can be saved. Idols cannot save. God is the only one who can save. And faith is needed so that we can be saved. And so let's go to this one by one. Idols can save. Look at verse 18 to 19. What does verse 18 says? It is only a corrupted thing. Uh, the craftsman carves it. It's a cast image. In verse 19, we can read that it is plated with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it. It is powerless. While the God who created us is powerful, these idols are powerless because it's only created by our hands. Second thing that we can see from this passage are that idols are dumb. Idols are dumb. It has no mind. It says in verse 18 again, when we look uh, on verse 18, it cannot speak. It cannot speak. When you say to it, wake up, in verse 19, come alive, it cannot come alive. Can it teach? It cannot teach because it's only a created thing. Now, though it cannot speak, it cannot move, because it has no life, Satan can also use it to teach lies. It's not the actual idol itself that teach lies. It is the father of lies that speak lies and he utilizes it to deceive people to put their trust and confidence in an object made of wood, iron, bronze, stone, paper, or anything else that is fashioned to resemble God, to resemble Jesus, to resemble a saint, to resemble Buddha, to resemble the sun, to resemble a cow, or anything else that your mind can conceive, and you can put your hope and confidence in it. My dear friends, those are idols that God hates so much because it robs your faith in Him. Finally, this passage tells us that idols cannot save. The problem of every human being is that their heart constantly longs for a God that can be seen by our eyes and can be touched. When we search the scripture, we can learn from the time of Abraham, Nahor, Terah, even her, his daughter-in-law Rachel sat down on the idol. Uh, even the Israelites in the wilderness uh, created a golden calf, calf and worshipped it. It's because their heart is longing for a God that they can see and they can touch. They conceive what is God-like through their own imagination, crafted those imaginations with their hands, and pedestal those things that they have created and put their hope and trust and confidence on those things. God, on the other hand, my dear friends, are not created by hand. He, he cannot be imagined by our human mind. The only way we can know God is when God revealed Himself through His words. And that's also His grace. God can save. Idols cannot save. 
Now, here is my question for us today. What is the easiest imaginable source of help our mind can quickly conceive and run to for our hope and trust in times of our need? Something that is tangible. Is that your money? Is that your job? Is that savings? Real estate properties? Perhaps your relationships, spouse, children, boyfriend or girlfriend? Is that Mary, St. Joseph, Buddha? Anything that comes before God and robs your faith towards God is an idol. We exchange things that are created and believe it can help us more than God. And because of this, every human being has a problem. Because God rules in justice. Verse 20 says, God is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. It speaks of His rule and reign and justice. Habakkuk, Judah, Babylon, you and I face this great problem. Habakkuk placed his trust and confidence in in himself. He determined who is more righteous than Judah and himself. He said that Babylon is evil and deserves punishment. Babylon too has a problem because they relied in their own strength and made their strength as their God. We have a problem because we sinned against a holy God. We even believe that our own small sins are insignificant. Habakkuk 2, on the other hand, shows that the Lord is in His holy temple. We have no excuse. We can only be silent before His presence. And that's where God comes in and demands faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 gave a gospel message, which we, we, we can found in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. It presents the God who is really ruling and just and righteous, and we are hopeless in our sins, but He did not abandon us, my dear friends, despite of the fact that God rules in justice as revealed in His Word, and we are sinners, God in His grace provided Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 and says that the righteous shall live by faith. This is why Paul in Romans and Galatians wrote this. In Hebrews, it was written that the righteous live by faith. Now, the irony of this is that faith also comes from God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. It doesn't come from us originally. It comes from God giving you the capability to believe in Him. And so, it is grace from beginning to the end. People are only saved because of the mercy and the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is that grace. He was the lamb, spotless, spotless lamb of God who served as our substitute. Jesus Christ redeemed us by accepting the death penalty that we deserve. He died for our sins and then he was raised back to life so that by implementing the justice of God on the basis of his death, he can forgive our sins and share in his reward. Only Jesus Christ deserves that reward of eternal life and spend time uh, with God in his temple. Nevertheless, that was shared to, to those who put their hope and trust 
in God through Jesus Christ. In short, the righteous shall live by faith. Brothers and sisters, this is Habakkuk chapter 2. God's justice is revealed in His Word. God's justice is in action. God is faithful and true in, in, and true in His Word. He made Babylon as an exhibit of God's justice. And God in His grace provided us a way for salvation. God's justice demands our faith so that we can be saved. And because the Lord reigns in justice, let the righteous live by faith. Let us all pray.